You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1009 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday into Monday. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store by one of our Locked on Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's podcast will focus on what became a pretty crazy roller coaster win for the Hawks. In game one on Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia, the Hawks were fantastic out of the gates. Philadelphia was not fantastic out of the gates. Atlanta led by 25 points. With 17 minutes left in the game, and then again by 17 points with less than 5 minutes to go in the game, and yet they almost gave it away in the end. But I say almost because it didn't happen. So, on the positive side, the Hawks win this game on the road. They steal one at a bare minimum. You want to split the first two games. The Hawks have now already clinched that with a chance to go up 2-0 on Tuesday if they can win again against Philadelphia. And now, home court advantage neutralized. They won this game despite Joel Embiid playing and without DeAndre Hunter. So, lots of positives. Trey Young's been fantastic in the series, again, in this game and in the entire playoff so far. So, lots of positives. Some questions as well out of this game. The fact that the Hawks did not win this game more comfortably with the way they shot for once. But um, we'll get into all that momentarily, but obviously a very, very nice start to the to the second round of the playoffs for Atlanta and a 1-0 lead in the series. We'll dive in now to the pregame and then the actual game flow as we always do. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Please subscribe to the podcast, and uh, here we go. So, um, in the pregame, the, the big question was obviously Joel Embiid's status. He was questionable officially on the injury report. He was a game-time game decision by Philadelphia. No surprise there. I thought that was going to be the case the entire way. He ended up playing, starting, and playing quite well. He is not quite as mobile as usual, it seemed, at least in my eyes, but he was still very effective, and when the when the Sixers had him on the floor, they were much better than when they didn't have him on the floor, which is not breaking news, but they were actually dreadful with their bench in this game, and uh, Embiid at least made it out to the end. He talks about pain management after the game and kind of that being the um, I guess the number one factor for him moving forward, but you have to assume now he's going to be playing until he's not for the Hawks, which is a change from where we were just a few hours and even days ago. Um, on the Hawks side, though, DeAndre Hunter did not play. He's listed as questionable with right knee soreness. That's the same knee that he missed so much time with this year. He had played, of course, in the last series. He played in all five games. He was listed as probable for Game 5, ended up playing. But um, it was noteworthy when the Hawks listed him as questionable for this game already. That was obviously a downgrade from where he was previously. And then, uh, just for example, actually, McMillan deferred to the sort of um, you know pregame decision making, warm ups, all that stuff. He ended up not playing. I have no update on that. Um, you know that that knee's been tricky all season long. I have no idea other than when the Hawks have been providing information. So uh, definitely not a great scenario where you have you know a couple of days off and he ends up not playing in this game. So we'll circle that, put a, put a pin in it, and obviously the Hawks need him. It's uh you know they won this game without him, which is obviously a positive. But big picture, the Hawks are obviously at their best when they had DeAndre Hunter on the floor. So both short term and long term, that's going to be an interesting scenario for Hunter and his knee. Um, we'll touch on other injury stuff later on the show, Cam Reddish update, etc. But we'll come back to that later on. Our friends at Bellana AG actually made the Hawks about a four and a half point underdog in this game. It was actually two and a half. Most of the day yesterday and into today, but once Embiid was in and Hunter was out, it swung all the way to four and a half, and the Hawks obviously ended up covering that as they won the game outright. Um, today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is, covered, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and 95 calories, 2.6 cars, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. We'll dive in now to quarter one, and uh, this is obviously a very, very positive 
period for the Hawks. A 42-point first quarter and a 15-point lead after one. Um, early on, sort of setting the tone, Bogdanovich hit a quick trigger three in the first possession of the game, and then Trey hit one uh, momentarily after that. But Bogdanovich actually had the, had the first six points on a couple of threes. Um, they opened up defensively with Bogdanovich on Curry, uh, Collins on Simmons, and then Hill on Harris. It was actually Solomon Hill again that started in place of DeAndre Hunter. But they, they were definitely flexible matchups the entire game. Um, there was some cross-matching with Philadelphia, which made things a little bit tricky on both ends of the floor for both teams trying to match up defensively. Um, but the offense was so good out of the gate. 24 points on the first 15 possessions, which is an outrageous rate of scoring. There were 4 of 7 from 3. Even Solomon Hill hit 1 in the early going. Defensively, it was not fantastic at the outset, but there was a bunch of turnovers. So that was, honestly... There are a few factors that you can sort of simplify this down to, but Philadelphia's ball security in the first half might have lost them this game. The Sixers had seven turnovers in the first nine minutes, and then we'll look ahead to this in a second, but they had 12 turnovers in the first 14 minutes of this game, which is just an outrageously bad number, and they led, a lot of those led directly to Hawks' points, and that allowed Atlanta to build their lead in addition to their own hot shooting. So there was a 14-4 run by the Hawks, that features Trey, Trey Young scoring eight points in less than a minute. He had 12 and five in about the first, you know, nine, 10 minutes of this game. He was dominant out of the gate. They had Danny Green on him. He had uh, no chance, basically, in single coverage. And after halftime, they changed, changed up their coverages, but Trey was doing anything he wanted to do in the first half of this game. Um, the Hawks scored 34 points in the first 20 possessions after that run. It was a uh, just a crazy start. 14 of 18 from the floor, 6 of 10 from 3. Um, Kevin Herter made a nice impact when he came in the game, including a nice steal out of the gate. Um, they came out of the timeout, though, with the full bench unit, which is usually, and I say usually because it's not always, but usually not a great sign. I am not a fan of that. With that said, in this scenario, it worked out um, in part because Philadelphia played their own full bench lineup. So uh, I've definitely poked some fun at McMillan and Tom Thibodeau in the last series for playing regular season rotations. That was the same thing here, and honestly, even more so, I think Doc Rivers... Uh, kind of was inexplicable in the way he deployed his bench in this game. But um, for the last two and a half minutes of the first quarter, it was full bench against full bench. It was not something you normally see in a second-round playoff series, but it happened. And honestly, um, as much as these, the Hawks' bench has not been fantastic at times this year, they're probably better than Philadelphia's bench. Um, so that was a slight advantage. You know, Obviously, it worked out, and we'll get into this in a second, but the Hawks actually ended up winning the trade-on minutes pretty decisively. At the end of the first quarter, though, um, it was plus three in favor of Atlanta with their bench, going from up 12 to up 15 at the end of the first quarter. Akangu played very well, I thought, defensively in particular, and Gallinari got to the line four times, made all four free throws. Uh, at the end of the first quarter, the Hawks were 10 of 10 on twos, uh, which is pretty Awesome, obviously. And 6 of 12 on 3. So they were 73% from the floor. Yes, 73% from the floor. Uh, two turnovers, so just a, just a lights-out first quarter. Trey was awesome. 42 points was the second-highest scoring first quarter in Hawks franchise playoff history. Uh, that's outrageous, of course. And then uh, Philadelphia actually played well offensively, and Embiid looked good, but they had turnovers just out coming out of their ears. In fact, at the start of the second quarter, they brought McDonough back in for Tony Snell, and they stayed with the rest of the bench. But Lou hit a 3, then Kong had a dunk, and then Lou had another 3, and then after a timeout, another one by Bogdanovich. So it was a 17-0 run by the Hawks from the end of the first quarter to the beginning of the second quarter. And again, that came without Trey on the court, which is just remarkable in a number of ways. Obviously, they, that lineup was hot, especially with Lou and Bogdanovich. But the ball security by Philadelphia was just crazy. They had three turnovers to start the second quarter. Again, 12 in the first 14 minutes. And I honestly could not believe that Doc Rivers, after the initial stint, came back with the bench again after a timeout. It was reminiscent of, of when I was just baffled by McMillan doing that in Game 2 against the Knicks. It happened again here, and that definitely helped out the Hawks in building their lead. Philly didn't score a point for the first 4 minutes, 18 seconds of the second quarter. So that allowed the Hawks to really build their lead. And again, Atlanta was plus 14 
without Trey in the first half. That just doesn't ever happen, especially in that short of a period of time. So that was a huge swing. The Hawks finally did sputter a little bit offensively at one point. They only had two points in about three and a half minutes in the second quarter. But the lead only went from 24 down to 20, which is the first of many positive signs in this game was that the Hawks kind of didn't have their best fastball after that crazy start and it didn't really kill them on the scoreboard. They didn't play great, honestly, in the, in the final like six minutes of the second, of, of the second quarter. Philly cut it to 16, but then the Hawks made some shots again. Kevin Herter, Solomon Hill hit back-to-back threes in the corner in the exact same spot, and the Troy hit one that was pretty deep with about 30 seconds to go, and suddenly the Hawks were up by 20 at the break again. It was their franchise playoff record for first first half points, I should say, was 74, and their franchise playoff record for, for threes in the first half was 13. So, uh, obviously... The Hawks have been in a lot of playoff games. I know it's uh, they're sort of a punching bag nationally sometimes, but the Hawks have been in a lot of playoff games in the last 25, 30, even going back to Neek time. And uh, that's a lot of games, and to set their, their franchise records in the playoffs is definitely notable. They were awesome in that first half. 82% true shooting in the first half for the Hawks. Um, 13-23 from three, 9-9 from the free throw line. Trey had 25-7 and seven on good efficiency in the first half. Um, but Donovan had 11 points, and then a sneaky 8 points from Lou Williams to sort of buoy that run. Also a lot of a Kongwu, as they tried to sort of save Capella from, from, from some foul trouble in that first half. That was a little bit of a shaky choice, I thought, by McMillan, but it didn't bite them too much. Um, ironically, I tweeted this, but Philadelphia had a 62% true shooting in the first half. That's a very, very good number. Like, that's a top three number in the league kind of number for a team, and they were down by 20. That just does not ever happen, but they had 12 turnovers and the Hawks were so hot that it ended up setting the Hawks up very well for what became a hold on for your dear life uh, win in the second half of this game. All right, before we get to the second half and much more on the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first which is Indeed. Imagine you're the hiring expert for your company. What you really need is to make your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier and you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post-screening interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete your video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, which gives you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed Skills Test that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so that you only have to pay for your applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all of the other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor and when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone in my favorite flavor right now anyway. I have many favorites, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now where you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. 
time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, only four grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry, mint brownie, or whatever you would like. And if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, the second half, obviously not quite as favorable for Atlanta. Uh, big picture, it was 70-54 to 54 in favor of Philadelphia. That's a little bit misleading. Obviously, it wasn't, it wasn't quite that lopsided until the very end when things got very scattered, but it wasn't as dominant either from the Hawks. Part of that was them cooling off. Part of that was Philly was much better. We'll get into that now as we always do. Um, coming out of the gates, they put Simmons, Ben Simmons on Trey Young. That was the right decision by Philadelphia. They waited too long, I thought, actually, uh, with Green just getting cooked in the first half. But Simmons also got two fouls in pretty short order. He had three fouls early in the third quarter. And then they had to kind of, with with Green back on him, kind of double and blitz more. Simmons was actually asked after the game about guarding Trey, and he said he wanted to do that more often. But I will say this, you know, Simmons got away with a lot physicality-wise in this game on both ends of the floor. I think, um, especially late, Philadelphia was very aggressive, and they were not being called for fouls, which is, you know, part of that's officiating and them probably understanding that. But um, that would be a big point in the series. Trey got to the line a decent amount in this game. Nine attempts is obviously pretty good, but um, the Hawks probably don't, um, I would say, benefit from physicality if the referees are letting them go, and that's something to keep an eye on the rest of the way. Anyway, um, Philadelphia scored pretty much uh, a little bit better, I would say, early on in the third quarter. They scored the first four points, get back, get back to 16, couple guys third foul. The Hawks then caught a break, I thought, when Harris had a pretty easy dunk that would have got, um, I think, a timeout pretty clearly from the Hawks, but it fumbled out of bounds. But even then, after that, they ended up calling one anyway because the Sixers cut it to 15, pretty quickly after two offensive rebounds in a row. But then after that, I thought that was a pretty big swing, actually, that I thought, honestly, at that moment in time was going to save the Hawks and kind of put the, put the game away um, because it was a 10-0 run by Atlanta after the timeout. They brought in Kevin Herter for Solomon Hill. That was the right decision. Herter was part of their best five in this game, almost certainly. Um, Philly then missed a bunch of shots in a row, which was very helpful. A couple of pretty good looks, too. Seth Curry missed a three. Um, Simmons missed, missed some free throws, on, and B got an offensive foul. And then the Hawks got hot with the Capella dunk. Trey free throws, and Herter hit a corner three, and then after a timeout, Adonis hit another three. So it was a 10-0 run to get the lead back to 25. And at that point, you're obviously in total control of 25 and went through the third quarter. Now, I, I will say this. I marked this and said as much earlier, but the Hawks led by 25 points with 17 minutes to go. And the game isn't over in the playoffs against a team that's good in Philadelphia, but you are a 95-plus percent favorite usually with that scenario. Of 25 playing hard, um, best players, no foul, no, no massive foul trouble, 17 minutes to go, you're obviously in fantastic shape, but it actually got a little bit dicey from there. The first little run by Philadelphia was a 16-6 to extended stretch by Philadelphia, cut the lead down from 25-15 to late in the third. Um, they actually went to Trey Young and Lou Williams together for the first time in a long time. Part of that was, I think, because Philadelphia was playing small as well with Maxi and Korkmaz in the backcourt. I don't love that, but I don't hate it as much as I normally would because of the matchup that was going on there with Philadelphia's bench unit, which is, again, not their strongest look. Um, Hill had a nice steal on Tobias Harris' semi-transition that led to a Capella layup, but actually Capella missed it at the rim, which I invoked a good friend of the podcast, Tower Jones. I'm sure he had quite a reaction to that missed layup by Capella in transition. Um, also, Kevin Herter went down really hard. I thought he was going to be potentially injured when he was contesting Tyrese Maxey in transition. It was pretty scary looking, but he ended up staying in and uh, seemed to be fine. Um, that was, that's obviously a good sign for the Hawks. It's a pretty ugly basketball, honestly, um, for both teams at the end of the third quarter. Ended up with the Hawks up by 16 at the end of the third. They cooled off offensively, still made four threes, though, in the third quarter. Um, in the fourth, 
again, it seemed like the Hawks were going to be just fine. They brought Bogdanovich back in to sort of bridge the gap with Trey on the on the bench. Old pal Dwight Howard missed a point blank layup that gave the Hawks a pretty uh, nice little boost because Gallinari hit a three, and suddenly the Hawks, Hawks are up 19 again in the fourth quarter. Um, they went to Collins at center for a while. That actually worked out decently well. The lead got to 14, and I actually thought this is, in the moment, one of the biggest plays in the game. The lead at 14, kind of teetering a little bit, and then Collins got an offensive rebound and finished a three-point play to put the Hawks up by 17. Then they got a stop, and then Gallinari dunked, and they were up by 19 again with eight minutes to go. So it was kind of like that back-and-forth, back-and-forth spot where Philadelphia would make a sort of a mini-push, and then the Hawks would sort of, I would say to their credit, kind of thwart those efforts from the Sixers. After that, they went for an offense-only lineup. The Sixers did with Curry and Corkmans playing together. That worked out a little bit better. Kind of lead down to 14 by Philadelphia and a timeout by McMillan in a hurry. They actually ran a great ATO play out of that timeout to get McDonough to three, but he ended up missing it. Then there was a super weird play. When Herter missed a three, he thought he got deflected out of bounds. There was no replay that I ever saw of this. ABC did not show the replay. Um, but they went crazy. Both Herter, Herter especially went crazy thinking it was deflected. Um, no review, though, because the Sixers went quick. Ended up being a layup, and suddenly it's the lead back down to 12 again with six minutes to go. Then there was a huge shot by Herter, getting it back on the next possession to go up by 15 again. Um, again, it was back to 17 after Trey scores back-to-back possessions. Up 17 with 442 left. And again, just like we were before, with... Uh, you know, up 25 with 17 minutes to go, up 17 with 4.42 to go, you are a massive, massive, massive favorite. Um, no matter what you think about Philadelphia, you would have that, you'd be a huge favorite against anybody. You know, they could be the prime warriors. If you're, you're, seven, you're up 17 with four minutes to go, you're a huge favorite. But alas, um, things got dicey from there. So Phil hits a three out of a timeout, Trey turns it over, Simmons dunks, and it's suddenly 12 in a row. Um, there was a nice floater off the glass by Herter to sort of stop bleeding there, but from 14 down to 7, it happened in a hurry. The Hawks didn't score for about two and a half minutes. Um, there was at least one, maybe even two, like pretty questionable no calls, as I said before, with some physicality by the Sixers that was not called and led to turnovers by Atlanta. But once the lead's down to 7, there's a game. Um, Herter gets trapped with 132 to go, and they have to call their last timeout. That was a huge, huge thing. Um, because the Hawks just could not stop the bleeding from that point forward with timeouts, and they had and they had no fouls to give either. So they were in this weird spot where they kind of had no margin for error, even though they were winning. Um, they pulled Capella for offense, which I don't blame them for, but that was obviously a uh, a decision that people were curious about. I'm okay with it. They're on defense. They're up seven, but um, the problem uh, sorry on offense they're up seven, but the problem is they didn't score, and it was a live ball situation, and with no Capella on the floor. And B glides to the rim and scores easily to get down to five. Then Herter turns it over on the inbounds with a five-second call. That seemed like a pretty quick five-second call, but still, that was sort of the cascading effect. So that turnover happens there. They bring Capella back in at, at that stoppage, but then Embiid scores again, and it's 118-115 with a minute to go. Then, honestly, the biggest shot of the day was Bogdanovich. Up three, lost possession, long possession, and then Bogdanovich hits a very calm, not sort of a, now his trademark uh, massive final minute three, but the Hawks up uh, six again with 41 seconds to go. So it seemed like it was going to be, you know, nearing the end with that shot. It was not, of course. They foul Simmons, who makes one out of two. Uh, Trey turns it over in the backcourt, though, and that leads to a, a Harris layup and something's back to three again. Um, then a nice outlet pass to Collins, where Embiid had to foul him, and because he had to lay out to do it, it was a clear path foul. That was a huge result for Atlanta, probably their best case scenario, because Collins goes to the line, makes both, and then the Hawks get the ball. So now the Hawks have the ball up five, and then there was an awesome dagger lob dunk from Young to Collins to seemingly put put the game away, honestly. Again, up seven, should be over at that point in time. But then, 
this is the weirdest play of the game for me. I still don't really understand why they did this. Um, because the three-point play by Collins, they're up by eight after the free throw by John. They inexplicably commit an intentional foul on Simmons. Um, which, you know, honestly, he's been a terrible free throw shooter for a while now. So I don't blame them on the math. But it's situationally, is when you just, that just doesn't make any sense at all. All that does is increase variance. And you're up eight. You do not want variance in any way, shape, or form. So that was the one thing that McMillan did in this game that I just don't understand. Uh, unless it was just a missed signal by Collins or whoever fouled. I think it was Collins that fouled him. Um, but regardless, that was not a play that made any sense whatsoever. And that opened the door for Philadelphia again because it went down perfectly for Philly. So he makes the first. Misses the second, and then B gets three-point play off the offensive rebound. So it's a four-point possession, which is the one thing you don't need there. And then the, <laughs> the Hawks turn it over again. It's a steal. It's a dunk in the backcourt. Pretty physical play again by Philly, uncalled. Um, and suddenly it's a two-point game. So, like, you go from it being pretty much over to a two-point game with a six-point swing in, like, five seconds, basically. Um, then, fortunately, Badanovich gets the ball on the inbounds, makes two free throws, and that was the end of the game. But, man, it was... Um, Certainly a roller coaster ride in the final few minutes of this game. The Hawks did not play well. Kevin Herter put it very nicely in the postgame, basically saying, thank God that we were up by 20 after Sarah, after Sarah Spencer asked him the question. And that's uh, 100% true. Like, if they had any any less margin for error, they would have lost this game. And uh, lots of positivity. Like, the clear path foul comes into play now because that ended up working out so well for the Hawks that uh, that was huge. Trey Young executing some time management stuff with uh, letting the ball roll and the clock run, about 15, 20 seconds of that throughout the course of this game. Probably helped the Hawks out a little bit as well. Lots of little, lots of little stuff. But, you know, 25, that got dicey. Um, the Hawks turned the ball over 66 times, I should say, in the fourth quarter, including a bunch in that final stretch with Herter and Trey both having some gaffes um, with the balls in their hands. Um, you know, not, not a lot of great execution from Atlanta, but they ended up holding on and getting the win. Um, some takeaways here uh, that we'll get to in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of, it's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, we'll dive in now to some takeaways, some individual stuff in this game. It's going to be kind of a long solo podcast, so my apologies, but a lot to get to from this wild one. Um, takeaways, though, you know, three-point line can be overstated sometimes. It can be, you know, positive, can be negative. It was a factor. I think it overstates it to say that it was plus 30 because the Hawks were 20 of 47 from three. They were 10 of 29, the, the Sixers were. So the Hawks took 18 more, made 10 more. Um, so they made 10 more threes. That's obviously a 30-point swing, quote-unquote. That's obviously technically true. It's probably an overstatement. But obviously it's a massive advantage to make 10 more threes in your opponent. That's a huge thing. And the Hawks were very, very, very hot in the first half. They did cool off, though. After halftime, they were very ordinary, actually, um, shooting-wise. Probably even worse than that in the second half. So, um, seeing where their actual balance um, lands there, you know, you'd expect the Hawks to probably make, you know, 16 or 17 
out of 47 normally on an average basis. And, uh, you know, 20 is not crazy outlier, but certainly uh, was a lot of three-point shooting that the Hawks benefited from in this game. For instance, just for example, the Hawks made about 12.4 threes per game in the regular season, 12.8 in the next series, and they had 17 in the third by the third quarter. So, obviously, uh, some hot shooting early on, but they cooled off from there. The Hawks did get to line fewer times. They actually, they actually shot 14, free, 14 fewer free, free throw attempts than the Sixers did, but they were much more accurate. They actually made only four fewer, despite 14 fewer attempts. So Philly's free throw shooting with Simmons in particular is not very good. That's something to keep an eye on as well moving forward. The Hawks didn't really offensive rebound at all in this game. Capella was not a huge factor on, on the offensive glass. They did a very nice job on the defensive glass, though, for the most part, until uh, a couple of times late in the game. But um, I would say an above-average job defensively on the, on the glass. Uh, which is fine. They scored 28 points off the 19 turnovers from the, from the Sixers. That's a very, very good sign. You can't rely on 19 turnovers from the Sixers the entire series. That's probably not going to happen every game. But taking advantage of them is a big deal, and the Hawks were very good in transition. Uh, I would say capitalizing on the mistakes that Philly made, particularly in the first half. Um, you know, they lost second half by 16 points. I'm not sure if that's an outlier or, or what's going to happen there, but um, you know the normal balance level will be interesting to see as we go forward in the series. Philly ended up scoring above their season baseline um, because of the second half, but the Hawks were also much better than theirs, so that ended up being quite enough to win the game. Offensive rating wise, the Hawks were you know 119 defensively, about 115. Um, yeah, again, Philly shooting very very well. Like a 61% effective field goal percentage for the Sixers is like very very good for them. 58 points in the paint, but the Hawks just uh, made enough shots and uh, took advantage of the turnovers. And there you go from there. Um, individually, we will go to the guys who were injured first, actually, as we uh, take a second here. Um, no huge surprises other than Hunter, which we talked about earlier in the game. But Chris Dunn missed this game with COVID, with non-COVID illness, I should say. And a good win of Reddish are still out. There was a Reddish update that I want to pass along, uh, although it's kind of conflicting. So first, I'm going to read the release to you. The Hawks announced on Saturday that... Reddish, quote, has progressed to full participation in Hawks practices the last two days, including live play. Following upcoming 5-on-5 five five full-court scrimmages, he will be reviewed and his status will be updated as appropriate. End quote. So, that's that's the release update, which I tweeted out, everybody else did as well, on Saturday. Reddish has been out since February 21st, so I would recommend definitely keeping your guard up with regard to how much he's going to be able to contribute, even if he can play in the series, because obviously, you know, he was not playing incredibly well, especially offensively before he before he got injured. And then a young guy out three and a half months, I would just keep your expectations low. But from there, McMillan was asked about this by Sarah Spencer at the AJC um, before the game on Sunday. And he gave kind of a pretty conflicting answer for what the team said in the release. So I'm going to play the audio for you now so you can draw your own conclusion. But this is what McMillan had to say when Sarah asked him today. Nate, um, just what have you seen out of Cam lately? It sounds like he's been making a, a ton of progress as far as a potential uh, return. He's just been shooting, uh, been playing, uh, basically shooting. He, he did do a little live play, uh, but nothing with the team, you know, some two-on-two, three-on-three. So we'll see on Reddish. Obviously, there'll be updates in the near future. But um, after a what was a unequivocally positive update from the Hawks, that was a little bit of cold water poured on, I felt like, from McMillan. But we will see where, where Cam is in the near future. And I guess he could appear at some point in the series if he is indeed kind of close to returning. Um, as for the guys who ended up playing in this game, it was a 10-man rotation for the Hawks, although it was really about nine and a half because Tony Snell played only four minutes. He was the 10th guy. Uh, he had been out of rotation at the end of the series against the Knicks, but obviously with Hunter out, they needed another body to throw out there, and Tony did his job. He was okay. He was plus nine, only took one shot and missed it, but 
you know, played play defense, did, did all the normal, the normal Tony Snell stuff. Um, elsewhere on the bench, Lou Williams played 11 minutes, but again, he was massive in that first half stretch where they kind of put distance away from themselves. Uh, they were play- He was actually plus 16 in 11 minutes off the bench. Eight points, two rebounds, and one assist and six shots. So he did his job in a big way. I didn't love the Lou Trey minutes, but they didn't, kill- they didn't get killed in that stretch either. So a nice night for Lou overall. A Kongwu only took one shot and made it, but had two steals, had a block, three rebounds, did have four fouls, but was playing physically, and I thought pretty well. Um, obviously, him against Embiid is not what you want necessarily, but a Kongwu I thought was generally a positive in his uh, sort of step up in competition here against the Sixers, and I thought he played well defensively, like full stop, just kind of you know being physical, walling up, making some plays with three with three stocks, like a, a, a generally a good night or I guess a good afternoon from a Kongwu. Gallinari was uh, pretty muted in this game. Had nine points on four shots. Got to the line four times, as I said, as I said once before, but uh, two rebounds. Only played 16, uh, sorry, 18 minutes. So they definitely went further into Collins, who was playing quite well in this game. And that was the right decision, I thought. Gallinari's defensively, uh, Gallinari's defense is going to be a problem in the series, I feel like. They were targeting him. There were a couple of uh, pretty designated, pretty obvious, flagrant um, targets by Philadelphia at Gallinari when he was out there. So I wonder if Nate sensed that and got him out of the game for that reason. But he did his job for the most part when he was out there offensively making some plays and being efficient. And then Kevin Herter was very good. Again, obviously he had some faux pas in the final minutes, as a lot of guys did. But before that, he was pretty much awesome. 15 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, had a steal, 6 of 9 from the floor, 3 of 6 from 3. So 3 of 3 on 2s, which is uh, not always his strength. And uh, yeah, just a very, very well-rounded, good defensive game as well from Kevin. And not, not great down the stretch, but a lot of guys weren't. And I think that should not mar what was a very nice afternoon for Herter. To the starters, Solomon Hill was uh, obviously n- number five of five, but he made two threes. Those were big shots. He was two of seven, so not like great efficiency, but if he has to be guarded, that's huge for the Hawks, and him making two helps a little bit on that. On that, um, Had a steal that was great on Harris in transition. Defensively was very good, I thought, overall. Again, he's not going to carry you or save you, and uh, you can certainly quibble with, with starting him over Herder, but they went to Herder with the crunch time units. That's the right decision, I think. You want Hill out there for defense. Herder's the better player, obviously, so no issues with that whatsoever. I thought he was fine. Um, just kind of a very Solomon Hill-esque game. Um, Clay Capella, 11 points, 10 rebounds, had a steal and a block. 32 minutes, he had, he had five fouls. They were trying to limit him a little bit in, that, in this game. I thought he did well against Embiid. I know Embiid had 39 points, so it's not going to look like it. But I thought Capella was okay in that matchup. Nobody's going to be able to guard Embiid one-on-one, um, but I thought he was okay. Um, and then made some other plays elsewhere, rebounded the ball defensively very well, secured the rim, etc. Um, Bogdanovich... Um, I would say a mixed bag. I don't think he was like fantastic in this game, but he also made a bunch of big shots. 21 points on 17 shots, 5 of 12 from three. Um, not great by, by his standards, but still uh, more than more than efficient enough and made a bunch of big ones. Had five assists, had four rebounds, had a steal. Um, some uneven moments for sure, like a lot of guys were. But um, again, I think I, th- I still think if you had to pick one shot the entire game, that was probably the biggest shot of the game. It's probably his three in the final minute to go from three back up to six. And uh, a nice moment there for Bogdanovich, who continues to be hugely clutch in big moments. And then uh, John Collins, 21 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, 3 turnovers, 4 fouls, minus 12. I thought he was quite good. Um, 9 shots, like still not um, emphasizing him a ton offensively, but he had a couple of dagger shots. Uh, there were 3-point play on the offensive rebound midway through the fourth, that was a huge play, and then also the dagger dunk at the end of the game from Trey, so I thought he was very good defensively too, flying around, doing his thing, and uh, they leaned on him heavily, as they should have, and it was a very positive day, despite the minus 12 for Collins, and then Trey Young, 35 points, 10 assists, 2 steals, 4 turnovers, actually only had 1 until the fourth quarter, he had a couple of uh, mishaps in the fourth, but uh, 
you know, he was very good. There's no way around it. Uh, Trey was excellent. He did cool off like a lot of guys did in the second half, but still managed to be efficient. 35 points on 27 junior possessions, which is uh, totally fine. 4 of 11 from 3, 9 of 11 from the free throw line. Um, we'll see how the Sixers handle him in game two. Um, the blitzing definitely worked a little bit better than the one-on-one play that they allowed in the first half of this game that uh, Danny Green got torched, but um, Trey still has not had a bad game in the playoffs, and that's uh, obviously a very positive sign for Atlanta when your best player is cooking like that. So, I don't know, lots of positives. Embiid being plus 13 in 38 minutes is uh, pretty indicative. So, as I said before, if you missed this podcast before the series began, I said if Embiid was out, I'd pick the Hawks and wouldn't hesitate. And part of that is that they've been pretty ordinary without Embiid this year. They're 10-11 and 11 without Embiid. But in this game, you saw it. Like, the on-off splits the entire season for Embiid are stark. They're about, they're about dead even with him off the court. They're plus 12 with him on the court. In this game, plus 13 in 38 minutes, minus 17 in 10 minutes with him off the floor. So, that tells you all you need to know. It's obviously a little bit overstated, but, uh, you know, Embiid is their centerpiece. Even without, even without his typical burst, he was very, very good in this game. But, you know, the bench... The Hawks have an edge there, potentially. I, I, I still I cannot believe, and I would, I would think, on the Philly side, you wouldn't play that bench unit again as much as they did in Game 1, but the Hawks would certainly encourage that if they wanted to do that. And, uh, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. But, obviously, you know, as much as the fourth quarter sort of, you know, was frustrating to watch in a lot of ways for Hawks fans, I'm sure, they were able to go into Philadelphia, beat the number one seed, do it without DeAndre Hunter, and if you want to spin it positively, it's very easy to do so because they're now uh, no longer in home court advantage or sort of home court advantage uh I don't know, purgatory, whatever you want to say. They have a court, they have a court now. And uh, if they can get game two, you start going into great, great, great spots. Obviously, a split would be just fine as well, but game two is a big one for Philadelphia. The pressure now shifts entirely to the Sixers. No question about that as a top seed playing at home on Tuesday. So that's the next game. The schedule's now out. I'm sure you've all seen it by now, but the but game two is going to be arriving on Tuesday night in Philadelphia. Also, only one day in between, but also a day game today, so about a you know one and a half day break. And beat status would be obviously of great interest to see how uh, how sore he is, how much swelling there is there. Same for Hunter on the Hawks side. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you told me pregame that you know, Embiid plays 38 minutes and Hunter doesn't play, the Sixers obviously are favored in that spot, and they were favored anyway. And in, in, in the betting market with BetOnline.ag and all that, but I would I would echo the same thing. So for the Hawks to go in and win without Hunter and with Embiid playing the way that he did, huge positive for Atlanta and uh, we'll see what the rest of the series holds. We'll have plenty more to come on the podcast in the coming days. Um, in between games, um, I'm not sure exactly what my schedule is this week in terms of uh, in between game podcasting. I won't guarantee one between now and game two because game two is a rather quick, relatively quick turnaround, but there'll, there'll be at least one uh, sort of non-game broadcast this week, potentially as many as two, um, but we'll see what happens between now and then. But the best way to find the podcast always is to subscribe slash follow the show on Spotify or Stitcher or Odyssey or Apple if you enjoy that kind of thing. Apple has been frustrating a lot of for a lot of people recently, but Spotify, I know it's been... Fantastic for people, Stitcher, Odyssey, all that stuff. So you can find us. If you can't find the podcast, you certainly can ask me and I will try to help you with that. Also, you can always download the show directly from Megaphone. I've been tweeting out the direct link from the Locked on Hawks Twitter account. And uh, that's basically just that that's, that's our host page. So if you ever want to just find a particular episode quickly, that will be there for you. And uh, you can find it all on our, on our Twitter account at Locked on Hawks. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we will see you next time.